Chapters thirty six and thirty seven of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty six. Du lieber Gott, was so in man nicht alles alles denken kann. Bis ihm nur stay ich war ihm da und sag zu allen Sachen ja. Bin doch in arm anwesend Kind, begreif nicht was er in mir findet poor men's smoky cabins are not always porticos of moral philosophy three years ago a young man had lain staring at the white summer light shining through a square latticed window opposite his bed the room in which he lay was the merest cottage chamber with nothing to recommend it as a shelter for the humblest tenant except spotless cleanliness the warm-eaten old boards that had been scrubbed to relentless purity the whitewash showed no smirch or stain no lurking cobweb clouded the corners of the ceiling an ancient tent bedstead with scanty dimity curtains and patchwork coverlet nearly filled the room leaving just enough space for an armchair between bed and wall and a rickety old triangular washstand in a corner a row of scarlet geraniums in flower-pots on the window-ledge brightened the room within and embellished the cottage without it was a cabin in a little fishing village about four miles from branscombe in devon one of the straggling row of such cabins built just on the edge of the rough low beach sheltered from land wings by the rugged crumbling red clay cliffs that rose irregularly behind it and these eight or nine fishermen's huts with a little low thatched public-house comprised the village of littlecombe here the young man lay week after week through the cloudless summer weather not able even to see the bright blue water in its recumbent position but staring at the square of summer sky which faded and went out into the darkness sometimes and at other times struggled slowly back to light and brightness again a little elderly man a general practitioner of long sutton came to the cabin in his gig three times a week to see this helpless watcher of the changing light came into the room and sat in the armchair by the bed and felt the young man's pulse watch in hand while the two old women of the cottage stood by waiting his instructions this process was repeated regularly and with but the slightest alteration sometimes the old doctor shook his head despondently sometimes he murmured that things were looking a little better it's wearing work said the fisherman's old wife i'm paid to do my duty by him and i do it but it's wearing work by and by came a deeper darkness in which even that patch of summer skies seen through the diamond-paned lattice ceased to be at best it had been meaningless for the patient but his eyes had seen it and been dimly conscious of its changes in this profounder night of the unconsciousness light was not but from this dark abyss his soul struggled upward to a new world one day one never to be forgotten moment in his life he became conscious of a soft voice murmuring near him a gentle hand laid upon his brow that rough horny hand of the old woman's had been a torment to him many a time when he had no power to discern the nature of the thing that troubled him he lifted his tired eyelids and looked up and saw a dark face with softly shining eyes looking down at him a glass was held to his lips and he drank a deep and long draught of some sharp cold drink a draught that seemed to him like the wine of life then without a touch of wonder he gently murmured loo and closed his eyes and fell asleep day after day the same tender hands ministered to him the same loving eyes watched him but his own state was full of change sometimes he recognized his nurse sometimes all was blank sometimes there came fits of violence when the old fisherman and his wife had come to the nurse's aid 
yet through all that faithful watcher never knew weariness untired devoted she gave all that love and fidelity can give without stint and without measure this was how walter leyburne struggled slowly back to life after that fall from the top of the cliff it had not been quite so bad a fall as it seemed to the agonized spectator above the loose rough clay had broken under his feet and a mass of it had fallen with him breaking his fall so that he rather slipped down the steeply sloping face of the cliff than fell from top to bottom when jared gurner found him he was breathing heavily unconscious there were bones broken too but the spine was uninjured jared's shifty brains at once took in the chances of profit involved in the situation the man might die or he might recover if he died what a hold gerald's knowledge of the circumstances of his death would give him upon the doctor provided the doctor were weak enough to shrink from the bold avowal of his act if walter leyburne recovered on the other hand a little clever manoeuvring might win a rich husband for loo jared had aimed at that when he shut his daughter out of doors counting upon the impulsive generosity of the hot-headed young man too much in love to be worldly wise of the issue of that hazard jared was still ignorant when he found walter leyburne at branscombe but here was the young man fallen into his hands and it would be strange if he failed this time all these considerations flashed through his mind as he knelt beside the fallen man and when he met dr ollivant a few minutes afterwards his scheme was decided upon his snare was ready it was more difficult to provide for the bestowal of his charge but this he did in the boldest and simplest manner he watched for the first fishing-boat that sailed within earshot of the shore and hailed her vainly at first as the crew paid no attention to his call but after a little they seemed to think better of it and brought their boat on the beach she was the smallest of craft with only an old man and a boy on board her on her bows was painted in white letters snowdrop littlecombe j burgess an inscription which was useful to mr gurner my son has had a fall and hurt his head a bit said jarred going close up to the boat if you'll take him as far as little comb for me i'll make it better worth your while than fishing for the next hour or two the old man scratched his grey head and protested his willingness to earn whatever the stranger might give him was it much of a fall mister he asked with friendly interest no not much but he fell on his head you see and that made it awkward come on shore and give me a hand with him lad said jarred to the fisher-boy who was helping his grandfather to pull in the boat jared and the boy were both strong and carried walter leyburne easily enough between them for fifty yards or so from the bottom of the cliff to the boat here they laid him carefully on an old sail at the bottom of the weather-beaten bark and then the fisherman and his lad trimmed their sail for littlecombe nothing could have been more neatly done jared thought no one had seen the transaction this man and boy need be his only confederates and these two simple creatures would believe any story he chose to tell them he looks mortal bad said j burgess of littlecombe glancing down at the white blank face lying on the brown sailcloth he looks like death yes his head is hurt poor fellow but he'll come round after a bit i dare say he's young and strong how did it happen mister well he was climbing up a bit of that craggy red clay to look at a bird's nest or something i was lying on the beach half asleep and not paying any attention to him and he lost his footing i suppose and slipped backwards he must have fallen on his head anyhow he was quite insensible when i found him and there's an arm broken i'm afraid a bad job you're strangers in these parts i suppose yes i was never in devonshire before 
we were stopping at an inn at long sutton but i hardly like the notion of taking my son so far to such a noisy place do you know of any decent house in littlecombe where i could get him accommodated the fisherman scratched his head again meditatively and then said with diffidence my old woman has a room she lets when she can it's clean and it's comfortable there's a feather bed that belonged to my grandmother and perhaps that's as much as any one could say for it i shouldn't wonder if it would suit very well replied jarred who sat in the bottom of the boat by the lifeless figure lying on the sailcloth your missus would look after this poor fellow i suppose well yes i reckon she could she hasn't much to do except keep her place clean and she does that with a will and littlecombe is a quiet place i dare say it wouldn't be easy to make much noise there there isn't a dozen houses altogether and them fishermen's cottages just the very place for a sick man could i get any doctor to come so far mr palford does come over sometimes from long sutton he's a doctor for our parish we could get him to set my son's arm then i think mr burgess if your room is really clean and comfortable it might suit us this was how walter leyburne came to the fisherman's cabin at littlecombe he was carried up to the small whitewashed chamber that bright june evening while flora was watching at branscombe for his return it was late in august when he awoke from the long night of delirium and unconsciousness and found loo watching by his bed from that time he was hers and hers only his love for her never wavered he turned to her in his helplessness as a child turns to its mother's breast almost with the same pure and perfect affection her presence seemed to bring him healing and life his mind only half recovered from the shock it had experienced remained for some time in a state of comparative weakness memory was but faintly awakened the past seemed dim and remote but one fact he was sure of and that was his love for louisa gurner his most ardent desire indeed the one thought of his mind was to make her his wife he would have had their wedding day earlier by three months than it was it was loo's insistence only that deferred it her father urged the folly of such obstinacy really louisa you are the most pig-headed girl i ever met with mr gurner exclaimed indignantly here have you been devoting yourself to this young man for the last four months till you're worn to a thread-paper and now when he naturally wants to make you the only return he can by marrying you you put your back up and talk of waiting waiting for what i should like to know for walter's mind to be restored father he is not in his right mind yet life seems like a dream to him and because i have nursed him and been with him so long he fancies he cannot live without me let us be parted for a little while and when his mind is quite strong again if he still wishes to marry me i shall be proud and happy to be his wife lou had her way she did not go back to voysey street but to a quiet little school at exeter where among friendly simple-minded people she contrived to improve herself steadily and swiftly jared would not lose sight of his future son-in-law he and walter went to switzerland together and dawdled away three months among mountains and valleys and on the margin of vast blue lakes the london bohemian felt curiously out of place among the sublimities of nature the painter let his days slip by him in dreamy idleness disinclined to begin active life again all youthful yearnings for distinction fallen asleep and with but one aspiration remaining to him the desire for reunion with loo he counted the days of their severance and looked forward to her letters as the one delight of his life 
and lou's letters despite her imperfect education were worth having there was such freedom of expression such life and individuality in them and then every letter was a deification of that young gentleman dawdling through the slow autumn hours by the genovese lake every letter paid him divine honours as it were and gratified vanity and flattered self-love added sweetness to the girl's frank careless lines when the three months were over walter's improvement almost warranted jared in announcing his complete recovery the two men went back to england to the grave old city of exeter where walter leyburne and louisa gurner were in due course quietly married no one who knew them being present at the ceremony save jared they left england on their wedding day to wander at will through all the fairest scenes of europe the world forgetting by the world forgot walter perfectly happy in the companionship of a wife who worshipped him little by little the mind so nearly wrecked regained its old vigour and walter leyburne awoke to the consideration of how mean a part he had played and how weak a dupe he had been in the hands of jared gurner but no consideration that ever arose with him lessened his regard for loo or his belief in her truth that never wavered no baseness of her father's could degrade her in his eyes he remembered how she had refused to be his wife when she stood houseless and friendless by his side loving him as she loved him now how she had rejected him a second time when her care and tenderness had brought him back to life how honestly and faithfully she had stood her ground and insisted that he should have ample time for deliberation before he took the fatal step jared was pensioned liberally and told to forget as much as possible that he had a daughter to which stern decree loo added a tearful postscript to the effect that she should always remember and love her father and would come to see him whenever she came to england many a tender letter did loo write to that faulty father in the years of separation that followed her marriage in venice walter read the announcement of dr ollivant's marriage how easily such wounds are healed he cried with a cynical laugh you thought she would break her heart about me loo i should have broken my heart if i had lost you replied that devotee with an adoring look and yet you seemed willing to lose me loo for you refused me twice i did not want you to pick me up out of the gutter for mere pity's sake she answered only because i loved you so much if all men could pick up such pearls out of poverty's gutter life would be happier than it is loo said her husband proudly chapter thirty seven now at the last gasp of love's latest breath when his pulse failing passion speechless lies when faith is kneeling by his bed of death and innocence is closing up his eyes now if thou wouldst when all have given him over from death to life thou mightst him yet recover never did a given number of miles seem longer to the impatient traveller than the distance between killarney and london seemed to flora as she journeyed homewards eager beyond all measure of eagerness to make atonement to that sinner for whom she had been so implacable a judge three little months ago dr ollivant's sin his tacit falsehood his long-sustained hypocrisy was in no wise lessened by the fact of his rival's escape from the jaws of death the doctor's part in this business remained exactly what it had been before yet flora hastened back to england to forgive him nay more to entreat his forgiveness for her unkindness but then women are rarely logical the exacter sciences in all their rigid angularity have no place in the soft curves of a woman's nature walter leyburne dead had been a central figure in the fair picture of the past a memory fraught with grief a bright and faultless shade 
but walter leyburne living and by his own showing guilty either of supreme moral cowardice or utter indifference to her feelings was quite another person she compared his conduct with her husband's weighed the fickleness of one against the changeless constancy of the other and naturally gave the preference to the man who had sinned for her sake rather than to the man who had sinned against her there was as deep a falsehood in walter's offer of his love to her that summer day at branscombe while his heart was in reality given to his low-born enchantress as ever there had been in cuthbert ollivant's concealment of his part in his rival's supposed death and of the two falsehoods it was easier to flora to forgive the falsehood of the faithful lover nor was this all it is more than possible that in the secret chamber of her heart she had forgiven her husband even before walter's resurrection pity and yearning and tenderness and remorse for hard words spoken had been struggling in that womanly breast with a truthful woman's scorn of untruth smouldering love needed but the lightest spark to kindle into a flame and lo kindly providence had given her an excuse for pardon she would go back to him and say be happy again repentant sinner the accident in which foolish passion involved you was not fatal your rival lives no more a rival and never in his brightest hour worthy to be measured against so true a lover all through the autumn night in the sea passage between waterford and milford haven flora lay awake listening to the monotonous chorus of the waves and thinking of the meeting to which she was journeying she pictured the scene to herself conjuring up the lonely figure that had haunted her among the ash groves of innisfallen amidst the silence of the black valley she thought of her husband sitting alone in that grave library to which she had gone so often in quest of some favourite author stealing gently in upon his studious reverie and seeing him look up startled but always pleased at her coming always willing to close his book and come to her assistance to advise to enlighten to amuse her sweet stolen half-hours of companionship in the midst of a busy professional day should she ever know their pleasantness again it was only in looking back at them that she had discovered how precious they were she pictured him as he would be at midday to-morrow when she had come to the end of her journey and stole in upon him unannounced just as in the days of her happy wifehood she fancied him sitting at his desk surrounded by his usual litter of books and papers reading one of the medical journals in some pause of his day's labour and how at the sound of her footstep he would look up with his calm professional expression just gently sympathetic as who should say what new traveller on the ash-strewed way to death has made my house his halting-place and she had fancied how seeing it was no common patient but his repentant wife who had entered his room he would start up from his chair doubtful perhaps for a moment how he should receive her and then instantly subjugated by love's old witchery open wide his arms and fold her to his heart oh sweet 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 hour never again would she run the hazard of eternal banishment from that fond shelter but what if imagination's picture was unrealized what if he so strong to love should prove himself as powerful in his resentment what if he should greet her with aversion's stony look point a stern finger to the door and say henceforward our homes are apart i have no longer a wife these two pictures one perhaps just as likely to be a forecast of the truth as the other haunted the sleepless traveller all through that night of fever and unrest such a prolonged agony of hope and doubt and fear was concentrated in those few hours that brief as the night was on board the swift steamer it seemed almost endless to this anxious traveller she was surprised on landing at milford to discover that night was still at odds with morning which was which 
faint gleams of dawning light pale and sickly struggled with the yellower glare of the lamps in the great empty station i hope you slept well my love said mrs ollivant who had caught the green hue of the waves in her transit and was crushed and faded of aspect as if by the passage of years instead of six or eight hours at sea i know what a good sailor you are and that you can sleep on board a steamer this with a plaintive sigh no mamma i couldn't sleep much i had so many things to think about but i hope you were not ill added flora sympathetically sea-sickness being inscribed in unmistakable characters upon the elder lady's brow my dear i was in the hands of providence replied mrs ollivant gravely and the stewardess was very attentive but there was one period of the night when i felt that if we had gone to the bottom it would not have signified much to me through those chill gleams of newborn day unattractive of aspect like most newly created things the travellers sped onward across the hilly welsh country at first open and pastoral a sheep country evidently and anon to districts famous for coal and iron where the earth was overhung with a smoky pall and a general blackness and grimness pervaded everything past english cathedral cities and obscure manufacturing towns leaving the hills behind and with them the romance and charm of the landscape into the verdant rural home counties with their somewhat tea-board prettiness by the rushy river that winds below the gentle slopes of caversham across the bridge that spans the same bright river by pleasant maidenhead favourite resort of the tired londoner and so onward till the clear autumn air thickens over the multitudinous roofs of the mighty city they were at paddington mrs ollivant looking a monument of neptune's inhumanity flora pale as death but with a bright resolute look in eye and lip mamma she said in a quick decided way a few minutes before they reached the terminus you take a cab and the luggage and drive across to waterloo and go on to teddington by the first train that will take you there i know how anxious you are about the house but you'll come with me won't you flora no mamma i shall drive straight to wimpole street to cuthbert if all goes well i shall persuade him to come to willows with me in time for dinner if we do not come by that time you may know that he has refused to forgive me but in that case i shall come home alone most likely my dear child how can you doubt his forgiveness he has never blamed you in my hearing he has always taken all blame upon himself it is his nature to be generous answered flora gravely i do not say that he has been altogether blameless but i have been too hard in judging the one error of his life i have forgotten how much i owe him what manifold reasons i have for gratitude and indulgence and love go to him dear and be assured of his forgiveness i shall look forward anxiously for your arrival at the willows dinner at seven i suppose as usual and i will take care to have everything nice added mrs ollivant full of maternal solicitude and not a little agitated by the prospect of reconciliation between those two whom she loved so well yet anxious withal upon the question of fish and the possibilities of partridges these sordid material things have their influence upon the spiritual half of existence mind and matter being curiously interwoven in our lower nature a good dinner is not without its function in domestic life and an offended husband is more prone to the melting mood after sol au maître d'hôtel and a well-roasted partridge than after the frugal housewife's leg of mutton and caper sauce so the two ladies took separate cabs at paddington terminus mrs ollivant driving to waterloo under a perilous mountain of portmanteaus flora to wimpole street how slowly the rumbling old four-wheeled cab drove 
it was such a little way yet the first half of the journey seemed long but when she saw the familiar marylebone road and the well-known street corners flora's heart grew heavy with an awful fear and she would gladly have lengthened the distance between her and the home she had so longed to reach the cab turned into wimpole street with many a jolt and groan there were the two rows of monotonous houses staring each other out of countenance the whitened doorsteps the shining brass plates on professional doors the balcony boxes with their scarlet geranium and fading mignonette the plate-glass windows and invariable draperies crimson damask below white muslin above here a bird-cage there a man or maid-servant looking out like cicera's mother at her lattice and then flora's heart gave a great thump as the cab after plunging uncertainly at the curbstone once or twice came to a standstill opposite dr ollivant's door his house looked the dingiest in the street the doorsteps had been neglected those broad expanses of stone which had once been of spotless whiteness which had been hearthstone twice a day if need were under mrs ollivant's firm rule there were straws and shreds of london rubbish in the corners the brass plate was dull the geraniums in the dining-room window-boxes were languishing for lack of water the half-drawn blinds hung awry desolation was imprinted upon the house-front for the fronts of houses have their unmistakable language flora's heart sank at the aspect of her old home the change was her fault she had robbed her husband of the faithful housewife who had made his home bright and pleasant for him for her selfish pleasure mrs ollivant had deserted the post of duty and left her son homeless a neglected house is no home the factotum opened the door as usual but even he had an air of having run to seed he wore his morning jacket of striped linen instead of the respectable black which had been his wont to assume ere this hour of the day and the jacket looked limp and dirty the man himself had a haggard look as of one who had kept late hours flora said not a word but crossed the hall to the consulting-room opened the door and went in heedless of whether she might interrupt some professional interview by that unauthorized entrance the room was empty the papers on the doctor's desk were blown about as the autumn wind rushed in from the hall there stood his vacant chair dusty as with the dust of many days that solemn-looking morocco-covered high-backed armchair in which the physician had been wont to sit as in the place of judgment and issue sentence of life or death a pile of unopened letters lay on the desk a spider had spun a gossamer bridge from stopper to stopper of the tarnished silver inkstand oh ma'am gasped the butler i'm thankful to providence that you've come home if i'd known where to write i should have written to you or your mamma in law within the last three or four days though my master ordered me not write to me about what cried flora sorely agitated something evil had arisen what she knew not the aspect of the house presaged calamity is dr ollivant away she asked breathlessly the room looked as if it had been deserted for weeks away oh no ma'am he's too ill for that ill is he ill didn't he tell you ma'am in his letters he told me he had said all that was necessary about himself and that i was not to trouble about writing to you even if he ever got so bad but just to bring in a hospital nurse and leave him in mr darley's hands mr darley of bedford square you know ma'am and let him pull through what is the matter pray pray tell me everything is he very ill asked flora piteously oh tenderness forgiveness remorse that came too late god have pity on me she prayed inwardly 
and save me from the anguish of unavailing regret well ma'am i hope not very ill but mr darley owned last night that he didn't like the turn master had taken and he sent me for dr bain around in the square and the two gentlemen was together talking for nearly half an hour and they changed the medicine which is a thing i never like for my own part doctors chopping and changing with medicine as if they didn't know their own minds and mr darley told me to get in an extra nurse for night and there i was in a cab half over london till after midnight but i got a young person at last at the institution of highbury and a very nice young person she is has he been ill long flora asked taking off her hat and jacket hastily with trembling hands over three weeks ma'am off and on it began with a chill shivery like and then a kind of low fever hanging about him no appetite no rest i could tell when i cleaned the lamp of a morning how many hours he'd sat in this room overnight but he saw his patients and went his daily round just as usual for a week then all at once he knocked under and took to his bed it's no use he said tell people who call that i'm out of town i'll ask mr darley to see my regular patients and i went to fetch mr darley and he has attended master ever since i'll go to him at once said flora moving towards the stairs the man followed her nervously i'm afraid you'll find him very bad ma'am he said you must be prepared to see a great change in him i am prepared for anything she answered with a sob except to lose him and then she ran upstairs swift and light of footstep making no sound upon the thickly carpeted stone she opened the door of the front room on the second floor the room that had been newly furnished for the doctor's bride expecting to find the invalid there but to her surprise she saw the furniture swathed in brown holland the room empty all things had been kept with religious care the dressing-room with its turquoise and gold upholstery was shrouded from dust and light carpet curtains mirrors all covered the rooms she had sanctified by her presence were to be profaned by no footfall in her absence so near fanaticism is true love the back room on this floor was mrs ollivant's and the door was locked flora mounted the next flight swiftly breathlessly and opened the door of that room where she had awakened one winter afternoon from the long night of delirium yes he was there on the bed where she had lain through so many fever-haunted nights reposed the wasted form of her deserted husband she could see the sharp angles of his figure beneath the tumbled bedclothes the nurse was sitting at a table by the window taking notes of her case a clock ticked upon the mantelpiece a pinched little fire burned in the grate the room was littered with medicine bottles all the apparatus of sickness ready weapons whereby life does battle with his grim adversary death he was awake the large hollow eyes were turned towards the door by which flora entered but how vacant a gaze he looked at her and did not know her she went over to the bed knelt down beside it took his burning hand in hers whispered to him softly kissed his parched lips without avail there was no one in this wide world more strange to him than she another nurse he said wearily what is the use of all this fuss not a hired nurse cuthbert your wife your sorrowful loving wife come back to nurse you look at me dear your own true wife has returned never to leave you again he turned his haggard eyes to her face and stared at her fixedly without one ray of recognition what is the good of all these people he exclaimed 
i had better be in a hospital at once if my room is to be full of hospital nurses go away please to flora and leave me in peace if you can you are always tormenting me about something the nurse who had started up surprised at flora's entrance now came forward and took possession of the intruder with a professional air of authority oh if you please ma'am you mustn't talk to him the doctors say he must be kept very quiet but i am his wife yes ma'am and your coming in so suddenly might have given him a shock if he had known you perhaps it was lucky he didn't recognize you lucky repeated flora with a blank look will he ever know me again i wonder oh dear yes don't be afraid ma'am answered the nurse cheerfully it was so easy for a hired nurse who came and went like the wind to be cheerful he'll come round again and remember you i dare say before long i have seen worse cases of typhoid than him but he is dangerously ill is he not asked flora hopelessly the doctors are anxious about him ma'am but with care it is not a hopeless case you mustn't think that ma'am pray don't what have you been writing there only my journal of the case ma'am the doctors wish me to keep an account of everything the patient takes a spoonful of jelly or an ounce of beef tea i give him everything in that two-ounce glass it's most important that he should take nourishment and be kept quiet does his mind wander much no ma'am not very bad but he sometimes says odd things he has talked of you a great deal in the last few days and has sometimes fancied you were in the room and now i have come he does not know me that seems hard he may know you by and by ma'am said the nurse consolingly he changes very quickly if you could let me do something for him if i could be of use in any way pleaded flora indeed ma'am there is very little to be done you might help me perhaps when i have to give him medicine or wine or beef tea he dislikes taking anything and it is sometimes quite difficult to get him to take it i will gladly help you in any way said flora eagerly i shall feel less miserable if i can be of ever so little use may i stay in the room please i will be very quiet all this was spoken in so subdued a tone that the sound of the two voices could hardly reach the bed where the patient lay moving head or arms restlessly every now and then in utter weariness the doctor said he was to be kept so very quiet ma'am there was to be nobody but the nurse in his room but if you will not talk or move about much i should think you might stay it seemed a hard thing to deny a wife the right to sit in her dying husband's chamber for the nurse had but the faintest hope of a happy issue out of dr ollivant's peril it was not the virulence of the disease that was to be feared so much as the weakness of the patient he had not cared to live and he had let life slip away from him he had wasted the wealth of a vigorous constitution upon long nights of sleeplessness weariest vigils full of sad thoughts and bitter vain regrets he had wilfully squandered the forces of his manhood reckless of his loss life without flora meant misery he had been too much of a man to end the difficulty with a dose of prussic acid or a pistol bullet but he had not been enough of a christian to trust in god for the coming of the brighter day and he had been glad when he felt his strength ebbing away from him and saw his years dwindling to the briefest span of what avail was that empty arid future which lies between ruined hopes and the grave his wife had renounced him his child had been taken from him no other child would ever be born to him to be the staff and comfort of his age he had earned more than enough to secure the independence of his mother's declining years 
there was no reason why he should desire life either on his own account or for the sake of others so when he found his strength leaving him and the insidious low fever a poison inhaled perchance in hospital ward or fetid alley acting upon a debilitated constitution that fever whose danger he knew so well fastening its deadly grip upon him he had no sentiment but gladness she will feel just a shade of sorrow perhaps he said to himself when somebody tells her that i am dead just one brief pang of regret for him who loved as othello loved not wisely and then some new bright life will open before her and a few years hence when she has formed new ties and is the centre of some happy home she will look back at her past and all the days that she spent with me will seem only a brief unfinished chapter in the full volume of her life to me it has been the whole book to her it may appear only an episode thus cuthbert ollivant had laid himself down very calmly when the hour came in which he could no longer perform his daily task-work it was not until he felt a cloud stealing over mind and senses and his wits wandering as he tried to concentrate his attention upon a patient's answers to his almost mechanical questioning that the doctor felt it was time for him to succumb physical weakness or weariness would have hardly driven him away from his consulting-room he clung to his work as the one thing left to him in life but when he felt his mind troubled and found his hand falter uncertainly in the writing of a simple prescription he was fain to confess that his working days were over opus operatum est he said to himself my career is finished and it stops short of fame he went upstairs to his room on the third floor one bright september afternoon and laid himself down upon his bed with a quiet conviction that this was for him the end of all earthly business he would fain have let life gently glide away without wearisome endeavour to revive the expiring flame and it was only to satisfy his faithful old servant that he allowed mr darley to be called in this gentleman a family practitioner of standing had done his best but the malady had not yielded to his skill the patient's weakness had increased day after day and mr darley had confessed unwillingly that the time of peril had come unless a change for the better occurred before many hours were over the end was inevitable it was at this crisis that flora arrived in wimpole street all that day she sat by her husband's bed in the shadow of the curtains and heard his restless movements his broken murmured words disjointed sentences in which her own name sometimes occurred but which were at other times purely scientific with here and there a few words of latin she made no farther effort to win his recognition the nurse had told her silence and quiet were of vital consequence and she obeyed to the letter with her heart yearning towards that unconscious sufferer she sat quietly in her shadowy corner breathing voiceless prayers for his recovery it was only after seven o'clock that she thought of poor mrs ollivant at this moment placidly expecting her son and daughter at the willows poor mamma she said to herself i ought to telegraph to her how cruel of me not to have sent for her sooner how cruel to keep her away from her son's sick-bed she stole noiselessly from the room ran downstairs to the old servant and dispatched him to the telegraph office with a message dear mamma cuthbert is very ill come at once at eight o'clock came mr darley and dr bain from cavendish square how flora's heart sank as the two grave elderly men came into the room and bent over the sick-bed and ordered a candle to be brought and examined their patient with a professional unceremoniousness that seemed like sacrilege they listened to his breathing and tapped his chest and back 
and experimented with him in various ways and anon looked at each other gravely and whispered a little together with dismal meaning as it seemed to flora she sat motionless saying not a word and neither of the doctors had any idea of her presence till the nurse informed them in a whisper that young mrs ollivant had come home and wished to be allowed to help in nursing her husband then the two gentlemen turned to her with a friendly sympathetic air and murmured a few kindly words but words that had no hopefulness in them flora heard them in silence and then followed them out of the room gentlemen she cried piteously when they were on the landing outside tell me the truth will my husband die my dear mrs ollivant said dr bayne who had been a frequent visitor in wimpole street during her happy wedded life while the faintest spark of life still remains there is always a ray of hope but i fear i sadly fear my poor friend is dying she looked at him tearlessly for a few moments and then said gently i thank you for telling me the truth it is best she went back to her husband's room in the abandonment of her grief forgot all that she had been told about the need of quietness and flung herself on her knees by his side my love my love she sobbed my lost love is there no forgiveness in heaven for my sin against you her voice those keen accents of anguish pierced the dimness of delirium cuthbert ollivant opened his eyes and looked at her this time with recognition in his gaze flora he murmured faintly there was neither surprise nor joy in his tone in his utter weakness of mind and body he had passed beyond the region of strong emotions my love it is i your wife your sorrowful repentant wife no he said with ever so faint a touch of wonder that cannot be my wife hates me she remembered her words in the garden that fatal summer evening words of unmitigated hatred and contempt words keener than a sword thrust and harder to forget my dearest i was unjust cruel and ungrateful sobbed flora it has pleased god to open my eyes to my wickedness i have something to tell you about walter by and by something that will set your mind at rest oh live dearest live for my sake and all my life to come shall be one long atonement he contemplated her mutely for a few moments with a strangely pathetic look and then answered quietly too late my dear the pitcher is broken at the fountain End of chapters thirty six and thirty seven